You're listening to the Ministry Grow Show, brought to you by Reliant Creative, the creative agency for gospel-centered ministries. Find out more at ReliantCreative.org. Welcome to the Ministry Grow Show, a podcast dedicated to helping churches and ministries grow and make more effective impacts for the kingdom of God in an ever-changing digital world. Whether you're building and growing a gospel-centered ministry or leading a church, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Grow Show. Today on the show, we've got Andalyn Robb uh, from Chariots for Hope. She's the Development and Communications Director over there. Andalyn, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. We're excited to have you guys on the show. We We've done uh, we've done some work with fifty eight ten in the past, and so that's how we came about um, getting to know you guys. Um, but maybe tell our listeners a little bit about what Chariots for Hope is doing, um, how the ministry got started. I know that you mentioned offline that you are new to the organization, but um, just tell us a little backstory behind what Chariots for Hope is and what you guys are doing. Yeah, definitely. So Chariots for Hope really started in two thousand nine, um, and. W- responded to a crisis. Um, So our core work is um, impacting children's lives in Kenya um, through children's homes over there. So currently, Chariots for Hope works with eight children's homes. um, And across those homes, there's about 800 kids um, who live at those homes and call them home. Um, So back before Chariots existed, um, these homes were around. Many of them were actually started as early as the 1970s, um, but have had some different funding partners. And um, through a local church um, here in Pennsylvania, found out that this network of children's homes was losing their funding, which really would mean that a lot of these kids were going out onto the street um, or going back into really damaging situations. Um, So that's how Chariots started was How do we find a way to make sure that these kids are safe, that they're secure, that they're loved, and that they have a hopeful future, which is really what we focus on. Mm -hmm. Um, So over the years, um, we've um, connected with different homes as we're able to find different partners for them. Um, So we have kind of a unique structure that about half of our homes have a core partner to them. Um, So that's where 5810 comes in, and we have several others. Um, who a partner has come in and said, hey, we want to take on the responsibility of one of these homes from a financial standpoint and build relationships there. Um, So ultimately, all eight of the homes fall under our responsibility, um, but we share that partnership and the financial responsibility and the relationship building um, with our partners. A couple of our other homes um, we have multiple partners for, Um, So it might be a church or an organization or sometimes even a family um, who really wants to connect with a home. Um, And so we really manage those relationships um, and find supplemental funding for them. But when it comes down to who we are and what we're about, it's really about changing lives because we believe that Jesus changes lives. Mm -hmm. Um, So for each and every one of these kids, we don't want our children's home to just be a gap um, or something to fill in the gap um, of, you know, if they come to us at five or six or seven to hold them over until they're 18. Um, Our whole philosophy is that we go deep with these kids. We want them to be raised just like 
a loving family would raise them, that they always know that they're safe, which we take that for granted a lot. But for these kids in Kenya, sometimes it's the first time that they've truly felt safe. Um, We want them to feel loved and being raised in a way that they see Jesus' love um, exemplified through our amazing staff members. Um, And that they have an education in a way to prepare themselves to then be exemplary citizens, leaders, and followers of Jesus. That's awesome. So so the gospel and Jesus is a, a end goal to everything you guys do. That's just the 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 rescue of those children and the, the providing the home and the education is just an end to that or a means to that end. Definitely. We we believe that first and foremost a relationship with Jesus Christ is the biggest way that their life can be impacted, um, as it has been for each of us. Um, so each of our homes have a team of staff members who, I mean, we just cannot speak highly enough about. Um, each home has a manager, and we know that those managers really set the tone for how the home operates. Um, and so many of them just have such a passion for these kids um, to know the gospel and to understand it and to make it be a personal choice for them. Um, They'll have devotions every night, um, sometimes in the morning as well um, for all the kids where, you know, they'll recite scripture, they'll hear different uh, messages preached. And a lot of times the kids are a hundred percent involved in it. It's the kids sharing with the kids. Uh Um, And they're also all involved with their local church. Um, so each one has a church that usually they can walk to that they're a part of every Sunday and sometimes throughout the week as well. That's great. So are you guys, so you're, you're overseeing the, that relationship and partnership with other ministries and, or families to connect to the homes. Are you guys doing the fundraising and overseeing of any of the homes at all? Or are you building partnerships for every single one of the homes that you support? Um, we, we really do have the core relationship with every home. Um, our two of my colleagues um, who work mostly with our Kenya side of the operation, they are on the phone, I would say, every day with at least one of our managers, if not more, um, overseeing day-to-day relationships in the home, making sure that the managers and assistant managers have what they need, working with our national director in Kenya. They are really highly involved. Um, Our partners will have all different levels of relationships. Um, Many, it's mostly just financial and relational in that they bring such an encouragement to our staffs. Um, We'll certainly keep them apprised of projects that are coming up or difficulties with the homes, Um, but it usually kind of comes through our offices first. Um, And then when it comes to fundraising, yeah, our needs are significant. Um, You imagine eight homes, 800 kids who, you know, want to eat dinner every day and go to school every day. Um, There's kind of no end to um, the needs of the organization. Um, So we are really fundraising for probably six out of the eight homes um, we're doing at least part, if not all of the fundraising for those homes. Oh, wow. Um, so we do have partners with all of them, but some are more relational than financial. So Very cool. And what countries are you guys, are your homes based in? All of our homes are in Kenya. 
Um, and then we work in Kenya, we work with the African Inland Church uh-huh. um, so that we do have an in-country partner um, to just help. They're the founders of these homes um, and all of our kids are involved in their churches and they provide a lot of help to us as well. Just giving us, you know, their denomination is the largest in Kenya. So they have a really strong following and network that um, is just really helpful to us. Well, that's awesome that you have that in-country partnership with a, a local church that you can invest in and allow them to actually be the boots on the ground to build the relationships with the children and, and the homes and kind of oversee that. Yeah. Yeah. They, um, we work with their um, deputy presiding bishop um, uh-huh. in an office in Nairobi. Um, and so he really has been so helpful in making sure that um, we can meet up with the right bishops, we can make some of the right connections. Um, and we're just slowly trying to really engage people with the children's homes. Um, so many times, even a home in their local community, they don't seem to know about. Um, so that's been something we've really worked on over the past few years to really grow those relationships. Um, and now we have local churches stopping into the homes, maybe bringing some food, maybe teaching a lesson, maybe, you know, sitting down and talking to some of the older kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so those have been it's been really cool to see where that's been going. Yeah, that's that's incredible. So how have you guys gone about building those relationships with the native leaders and managers that that manage each home? Is is it the church on the ground in Africa that is bringing those relationships to you? Are you do you have your own people on the ground building relationships and bringing those managers into the homes? What does that look like? Yeah, so I would say each relationship looks different, um, as you can imagine. Um, so as I mentioned quickly before, our managers are an amazing asset and really set the tone for the homes. And we've had to let some managers go over the years. And as we've gone about trying to find new managers, um, I feel like they've come about through all different methods. Um, we have our national director in Kenya um, who kind of oversees all of the eight homes and is on the ground there with those homes um, and reports directly into our home office here in the U.S. Um, he's been critical in really knowing where to go to get great recommendations of men and women who would be able to fill those roles so well. Um, so I think we really start with him and with um, some of his connections mm-hmm. um, and then certainly with um, Bishop Gishure. Um, and then every once in a while, um, they'll come through the local churches. Um, a local bishop or pastor will say, hey, I, I know of somebody who I think um, would be a great fit. So our partnership with the AIC works that for all executive positions, so managers and assistant managers, um, as well as anybody who works for our African administration team, which currently is all of two people, um, we have to both agree um, on any hiring decisions, okay, uh, which I think is so important on both sides because um, we're both going to be looking at different things. Certainly there is a cultural barrier for us. Um, so we get their insight, their input. We're not just coming in as Americans saying we know best how to do this. Right. Um, certainly have never wanted to come in like that. So it's been a really sweet partnership to always have to come to an agreement on any position that we hire. Yeah. So is that African admin team 
based here or abroad? They are in Kenya. Um, and the two members of that team are both Kenyans. Oh, okay. One of the things that's been so important to our ministry is that everybody at all of our children children's homes are Kenyan. Um, we want these kids to be raised understanding their tribal customs and cultures and language because they're going to be going back out into their communities. And if they're a completely unknown entity raised by foreigners, it's going to be such a challenge for them to be able to jump back into those communities. Yeah. The cultural ramifications of that are exactly. Yeah, it's not like America where you can move to a new community and it, you know, even here it takes a little time, mm-hmm. but you'll be able to fit back in. If they if that community doesn't know you, it's going to be a big challenge. Yeah. So, I think that has been one of the biggest things of, you know, any of our hiring decisions is who's going to really be willing to foster those relationships. Um so our African admin team has our national director, um, his name's Paul Moniki, um, and he's been with us since the start, started off as a children's home manager. Um, so he knows what it's like on the ground, the day-to-day work, um, and he is just phenomenal. Um, anytime things arise, you know, he can get there quickly. He can, you know, be on top of it, understanding what's going on and making sure that we have all the information that we need here in the States. Right. Our newest hire um, his name is Cosmas. Um, he's our program manager. So he, his job is really to work with the homes to make sure that they're getting the help they need, mostly from a social work standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the kids who have more challenging situations, kids that kind of fall outside the box a little, um, you know, giving managers help on that. But he's also been huge in, really adding some great programs. Uh, one of the biggest things has been peer groups. So helping our managers and our staff to create these groups where group, a smaller group of students who are all about the same age or maturity level can get together to have really real conversations about real life, about, you know, as they're going through different changes as they, you know, become adults. Um, having some real conversations with that, with people who are all going through the same things. Right. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, I want to transition a little bit and jump down a couple questions. Um, obviously, fundraising is huge for a ministry, any nonprofit. Um, how are you guys? How are you guys going about fundraising? And um, what is your approach to fundraising? Maybe can you speak to some some failed approaches, some successful approaches? Um, are you guys doing an annual gala or are, are you doing multiple events throughout the year? What does that look like for Chariots for Hope? Yeah. So one of the things that we have done really since the um, ministry started was an annual banquet. Um, and that's been one of our main events every year and continues to grow. Um, for us, it's usually about an 80000 to to $100,000 night, um, which has just been remarkable. Wow. Um, and we take pretty much zero credit for that. Um, that's a God thing. Um, we we do our best to make it an engaging program and a wonderful event that people love to come to. But in all reality, it's not because of the event we throw that people want to give. Um, 
I think that fundraising overall really comes down to relationships. Um, we have some amazing people that are that make up our donor base. Um, and I get the privilege of working with them. And I can say wholeheartedly, they're some of the most amazing people I've ever met. Um, so many of them have either had their feet on the ground in Kenya, which once once you're there, you see it, you get to meet the kids. It goes from being a picture on your fridge to a child that you're sitting down playing a game with. People never turn around. It's one of those, yep, chariots for hope. You know, they are all into what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been huge. Um, there's obviously a lot of people who have chosen not to go to Kenya or can't go to Kenya for all different reasons. It certainly takes a lot to get there. Um, but there's people who have connected so strongly with what we're doing by hearing the stories, hearing where the kids are at now. Maybe they've seen, you know, maybe they've been with us for years and they've seen how a child has come in with a lot of struggles and how they made it to secondary school and they were able to finish their degree. And now they're able to go to trade school and learn a trade that allows them, you know, to go off and be able to have their own house and care for themselves. Um, They get to track the stories of the kids. Um, And I think so often that's where the relationship starts is seeing that these are real people with real needs and real struggles. Um, but they're some of the most joyful, happy people you'll ever meet in your life. And it captures you. Right. And I think a, a huge piece of that and something that you guys have probably done very well is is that storytelling element. Obviously, American donors here in the States, they don't get to see what's happening over there uh, very often. And so the more we can storytell and more we can share of what's going on, what God is already doing there, what he's been doing there, what he's doing through Chariots for Hope with and without Chariots for Hope. He's, he's, he's active. He's been present there before Chariots for Hope ever was there. And there's all kinds of stories to be told, um, of what he's doing. And so if you can bring your audience into that, invite them into that and share those stories, I think that that is, um, huge for, for any ministry's fundraising. Definitely. Um, So I actually served on the board of directors of the ministry before I joined the staff full time. And as I started getting a picture more and more into what Chariots does on a day to day basis, I was blown away because there were so many more stories than I had ever heard. Um, Sometimes it's us trying to figure out which stories to tell because we could talk for hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I think you're completely correct that it is that story. It's taking one child and showing how their life has changed. Um, it's taking a group of siblings and sharing what their life was like before Chariots for Hope um, and before these homes and these managers just poured into them. Um but yet, in every story, the answer is that it was God who did the changing, not us. All right. We love to be able to be the conduit that he uses, but we are so well aware that it is not us. <laughs> so at that annual banquet, are you guys using 
video, personal testimony? What does that banquet look like? Is it a silent auction? Is it live auction? Is it just a storytelling event where you have people speaking? What does that look like? It it has a mixture of a lot of those elements. Um, and, you know, well, I'll talk mostly about this upcoming year because that's what we're well in the midst of planning right now. Um, our banquet's not until the beginning of May, but, you know, you can start early. Mm -hmm. um, this year we are focusing on alumni stories. Um, we've, each year we really pick a theme that can exemplify some of the really cool things that happened in the ministry in the past year or two. And we usually focus so much on the kids that are with us that we got talking and realized we need to share the stories of the students who have already moved on. So we're doing that through a couple different ways. So throughout the evening, all of our guests will get introduced to seven alumni. They'll get to hear different stories as they walk in. They may see an image um, with text. When they sit down at their table, they're each going to have an individual card that shares somebody's story. Then from the stage, it'll be a mixture of video and our hope. And this is something that we are really praying for. Um, one of our alumni um, who actually him and his wife serve on staff at one of our homes, um, we are hoping to bring them over and that he can share in person. Um, but they're having a few passport issues right now. So we are really hoping that happens. <laughs> um, yeah, we've been we've been blessed to be able to bring over guests from Kenya almost every year. Wow. To just really share their heart for what they do and to give you a glimpse into what life's like. Um, but certainly video is a huge part of it. We don't actually supplement with any type of auction um, or anything. We have a give hope program where um, we sell gifts that people could buy for themselves or for as a you know gift to give to somebody else. Mm -hmm. um, so we will have our give hope sales that night. Um, but as a means of fundraising, I would say that that is less than 5% of the evening. Oh, wow. The other thing that in most all of our fundraisers outside of this banquet, I would say that this would be something that um, I think is very important, is to be as specific as possible. Um, I think a lot of ministries are like ours and your general fund is one of the hardest things to raise money for because for, it's just not as exciting. Mm -hmm. um, and we know that's important. But every time you can, be specific. Um, if you're sending out a notice, if you're doing an event, pick one of your biggest needs and that's what you're going to focus on. So for us in the past, it's been getting a car for somebody. Um, it's been building a building. Um, we just started construction on a boys' dormitory at our Mahiga Children's Home. And we're so excited about that. But it took a lot of work to raise the $50,000 it'll take to build the dormitory. Um, but when people saw a more tangible item, I think that was much easier for them to want to get a part of. So is is a lot of your fundraising like individual families coming along and sponsoring just one child or 
Do, is, do you have corporate sponsors that come in and say, hey, we know that running a ministry is expensive. We want to help you guys in that way. Like, is there, is it a mix of, of all of that? Is there like a percentage like, hey, most of our, our fundraising comes from families that just donate to one kid and we have a huge list of those families or there's church partners. What does that look like? How's that broken down? Yeah, I would say our, so we do child sponsorships for five of our homes. Yeah, five. Um, And so out of those, um, that is a huge portion of the money that goes to each of those homes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's significant. That probably covers, if we're 100% sponsored for a home, that would probably cover about 60 to 70% of the cost that a home has. Okay. So on top of sponsorship, um, that's where our partners come in. So if a church and their missions budget may want to, say, donate $10,000 a year, um, and we have people all over the board on partnership, we'll team them up with a home so that their giving for that home goes above and beyond what sponsorship might bring in. Um, and then, you know, so each home may have one, two, three of those partners um, who want to add to that home. Um, so I would say partner giving if you take each individual home, partner giving is probably the other 40%. And then it's a very small percentage that comes from individuals. Um, we're really trying to move as much as we can towards having designated committing funding for each and every home. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that's a perfect world. We're not there yet. Um but we do have some really generous donors. Um, we have, let's say, probably one corporate donor and then probably six or seven families um, who do give just to our general fund, um, which has been such a blessing yeah. because it can fill in holes that we might have at a home. Um, and it also goes for overhead. Um, we've done our absolute best to keep overhead as low as possible. Um, I would, I mean, we have three full-time employees here in the U.S., um, and then two part-time people. Um, You know, running this organization with eight homes, 800 kids, and about 100 staff members. Um, So we're running as lean as possible. Yeah. But, you know, it still takes a lot of money to do that. But we've, you know, we've had those donors who understand the heart of the ministry. And when they hear the story, are willing to ask, so what's your greatest need? And so often it's, hey, we do need more for the general fund that we can designate as priorities change. Um, Because I would say that's one of the biggest challenges is that priorities are always changing because something may happen at a home where all of a sudden that need is greater than it used to be. You know, maybe they had an older car so it was still working. So there was other people higher up on the list. And then the car dies. Okay, we're going to need to go to that. They may have 10% more of their students qualified for the next level of schooling than we had anticipated. What a great problem to have. But that's a significant expense. So it might be education. So it's, you know, it's always changing and moving. Mm-hmm. 
And are you guys looking to expand into offering other homes that you support? Are you trying to just really dive down deep into the homes that you already support and, and create some sustainability within those homes that they can begin to maybe create their own fundraising sources or, or money-making, money-generating sources like, I don't know, water or agriculture or something like that. What does that kind of look like as you guys think into the next five, 10 years? Yeah, we've actually been having this conversation a lot recently, and we are really committed to these eight homes right now. Um, there is so much more that we know we can do at these homes that we want to make sure that we are fully committed to them before we look at expanding to additional homes. Mm-hmm. Um, so really making sure that we have the best trainings for our staffs and coming alongside and really doing more with helping the kids with their education and adding tutors, adding you know more staff members at the homes, providing more opportunities for schooling even. Um, And then a lot of our facilities are pretty old. So continuing to be able to update those facilities. um, There's there's a huge list um, that we see our commitment to these kids is staying involved in these eight homes, going as deep as we possibly can. And then as the Lord blesses and as we have resources, um, certainly down the road, we wouldn't be opposed to adding additional homes, but we're not looking to do that until we know that we've provided every opportunity for these staff members and these children um, that are already under our responsibility. Yeah. I think that segues into our next question really well. How are you guys working discipleship into into your programs? How is, how is the gospel being introduced into the lives of these children? Um, how are you making disciples of your managers and leaders in country? What does that look like? What kind of tangible things are you doing to build those relationships and, and make disciples? Yeah, definitely. This is something we're really passionate about um, because we know that with 800 kids, that's 800 adults in the next 18 years who will be out influencing their communities. So we want to make sure that they know the gospel and that the gospel has become alive in their lives um, so that they're going out and sharing that with others. So our dorm moms, our managers, our assistant managers, something that we have pushed so hard to make sure they know it's our priority um, so that it really extends down is that raising these children in a way that they understand the gospel. They're seeing it in the way that the staff members treat each other, in the way that the staff members treat them. Um, They're seeing that example um, and hearing, certainly, hearing the gospel um, through their devotions, through different ways, but also that staff members are pulling aside kids and having real conversations um, and really, you know, being discipled by Sometimes it's older children. We love to see when, you know, our 15, 16, 17-year-olds might take a five or six-year-old under their wing. Um, So it's happening on those levels, but also definitely through the staff members. Mm -hmm. One of the things we've done each year um, is to do a leadership conference for our managers and our assistant managers. 
So it's been our CEO, Bob Feller, has gone over and done just a few days of training with them. Um, He'll pick a couple uh, topics that are really weighing on his heart to share with them. And then the managers and assistant managers all together will have the opportunity to talk about how they're going to implement those at their homes. How are we going to take what we've learned and share that with our staff? How are we going to implement that to show our children? Um, So I know one year he really focused on servant leadership. What does servant leadership look like? And how how is that going to be passed down? Because that's the example that Jesus gave us. Um, So he'll pick different topics each year, but we've gotten just amazing feedback um, from the managers and assistant managers for these sessions. That's really cool. And that's so for our listeners, we've never done work with Chariots for Hope, but one of their partners, 5810, we've traveled with them a couple of times um, and they they help support a couple of the homes that you guys support, correct? Is that how yep, that works? Yeah. Yep. They work with our Malongo Children's Home and Katui Baby Home. Right. They are so incredibly engaged with both of those homes. Well, and that's something that, that we noticed on the ground with 5810 um, is that you guys as a leadership organization have done such a great job instilling in those managers and leaders and dorm moms on the ground. Um, this, this, the importance of taking the children aside and having like real conversations, building real relationships with, with the children. And that's something we saw throughout both of our trips is multiple times throughout the trips, there were dorm moms taking kids aside and just having those amazing conversations, sharing the gospel, um, being intentional with the children. Uh, and that's something that I came away with after doing work with 5810. I was like, wow, these guys have done an incredible job um, instilling that importance into their leadership um, in the ground or on the ground in in Kenya. And um, so well done to you guys uh, kind of leading that and leading 5810 in that. I think you guys have done an incredible job of that. Well, thank you. It it has been an effort um, that many people on our team have worked really hard. And I could say that because it's not me. I'm not the one who works day to day with our team in Kenya. Um, but I think they do an amazing job of really sharing our heart um, with the team on the ground in Kenya. So I can brag about them all the time. Yeah. Well, and it's it's obvious that there's fruit coming from that. Uh, because the children are flourishing like crazy over there. And I only know this of the two homes that we visited, but for the rest of the homes, I'm sure that that's the same case, um, that these homes are just flourishing. The children are are in love with Jesus. They, they're they coming out of these homes with, with a love for Jesus and taking that into their own communities. And so, um, yeah, it's just really cool to see how God has worked through, through you guys and the, the partners that you've created. Yeah, I mean, I... He has really done, he's done it all. What can we say? But I think one of the other things that we're continually faced with is Kenya is an incredibly corrupt country. So when we get to look at our homes and what is going on in those homes, what those kids are learning and how our managers and staff operate those homes, we are even feel even more blessed than we did before because we know that that is all because of the Lord, because in that country, that's not normal. Mm -hmm. It's not something you see all the time is that these homes can be 
run so well and really, truly for the benefit of the children, because that doesn't happen a lot in that country. Yeah. Um, Let's transition a little bit to our next question. What is your guys' philosophy of ministry? How are you guys implementing that philosophy? What What does that look like? Yeah, I think we've touched on that a little bit already of just how we really want to go deep with these kids. Um, we, we cringe every time we hear the word orphanage, um, because we understand the correlation that usually comes in people's minds with that. These are children's homes and we want them to feel like a home. And I think for everybody, when they walk into the gates of the homes, you can tell, you can feel that it's different. Absolutely. These kids have just a joy and an excitement. I'm assuming when you were there, you got to hear them just singing and greeting you. Oh my goodness. It's my favorite thing. It Once you hear it for the first time, it never leaves your mind. Um, we post videos as often as we can when we get them of different trips and the greetings that people get because just their song. Oh, it just gets you. Um, so to see the joy in these kids and for us, like I was just in Kenya two weeks ago and being there, especially this time now that I have, you know, more experience on this side of the organization, meeting some of the kids, I got to sit down at our, my, my Hugh children's home. We had just recently brought in about 12 children. And since the time they came in, none of our team had gone over. So I got the chance to sit down with them and talk to them and just tell them how excited we were to have them and how we've been praying for them. And we're so thrilled that they're with us and can't wait to see what God's going to do. And you look in their faces and I had read almost all of their profiles before I went. I knew the tragedy that they came out of. And to see already, Justin, they've been there probably just a couple months and to already see the, the happiness that they have as they you know interact with each other and interact with the staff and everybody it's amazing when you know what they've come from and their profile only tells us so much so they've lived through tragedy we do not want them to come into this place and just feel like oh well i have at least a place to be for a little while and then i'm back off on my own we want this to be a family and that's how everything that we do is intentional to get to that point that these kids feel so loved, so cared for, and so safe that they know they have a place that they belong. Mm -hmm. And how are you guys keeping supporters engaged and excited about the ministry throughout the year? Obviously you have your big annual banquet and a couple other fundraising events throughout the year, but on a day-to-day basis or a week-to-week basis, how are you keeping your supporters engaged and involved and giving them that experience that keeps them in chariots for hope front and center in their minds? What does that look like? I can honestly say that is the hardest part of my job um, because it just, I think communication and doing it well just takes so much time and energy um, that, you know, when you're a really small staff, it's really challenging. And I'm sure other ministry leaders who are listening, I'm sure you have that same challenge of how do we inform? Um, so really what we work on is 
first and foremost, making sure all of our partners are up to date. Because um, partners like 5810, who have all of their supporters as well, we want to make sure that they have as much information as possible about what's going on in the homes. Um, a lot of them are personally emailing back and forth with managers. Um, but as you know, we get formal reports in and we're talking, we want to make sure that they have that information so they can then share it. Um, and then for our partners who um, just are a partial partner with a home, making sure that we have the opportunity to go out and meet with them. Um, so we like to make sure that at least once or twice a year, we're at all of our church partners being able to report back to their missions committees and their whole congregation about what's going on in the ministry. On a day-to-day -day basis, it's things like social media. That's something that, um, you know, we're really trying to get some people involved in so that um, there can be more interactions. Because um, even just the pictures we get, we want to make sure that, you know, all of our network gets to see these kids' faces because mm -hmm. that'll brighten your day if nothing else does. <laughs> um, things like quarterly newsletters, um, just picking a few stories um, of the many that we hear back to keep reminding people that their support of this ministry, whether it's a financial support, a prayer support, a volunteer it really is making a difference. When most of your ministry is half a world away, it's really hard for a lot of people to really think that, okay, if I come in and stuff envelopes, or if I write a $100 check, or if I'm just praying on a daily basis, is this making a difference? Because you don't get to come and see it. Right. So it's our job to share with them the amazing stories of how prayer has just change things in a child's life or in a home. Um, we've had several kids with some medical challenges recently and have spread that around to a lot of our prayer warriors. And, you know, in some situations, you don't see a lot of change, but we still know it's in the Lord's hands. But in other situations, things happen and you know it was the power of prayer. Um, so remind, keep coming back to donors in all different channels and mediums of these are the ways. These are the, the stories of how you're making a difference um, and how, you know, God's using you in a much bigger way. Yeah, absolutely. So are you guys using social media and newsletters and, and driving traffic to your website with new content on there as often as you can? Or what does that kind of look like? getting that story out to your supporters? Yeah, we are, I would say we're in a building phase when it comes to a lot of those channels. Um, so when I came in and was kind of tasked with this, um, there was a lot of infrastructure work that we needed to do. So in the past 15 months or so, um, we've completely rebuilt our website, um, which has been a great tool. Um, just to be able to really share with people, you know, what's actively happening. Um, we have the ability to do a blog, and that is a 2017 goal of really using a blog as a way to really share some of those stories. Mm -hmm. um, for social media, we've chosen to just use Facebook and Instagram. We feel that those two channels um, fit our audience best. Um, and have to brag about our Instagram account 
we have a 17-year-old who runs our Instagram account. She went to Kenya, I believe when she was 14, fell in love with it, um, great on social media. And so she runs our Instagram account and she does an amazing job at it. That's awesome. So it's it's been really cool to see how we can use people's gifts and their abilities and, um, you know, all different ages and skill sets and backgrounds. Um, so we're, you know, working on our social media things. And then, yeah, quarterly newsletters out to all of our donors. Um, those are an electronic format that will often, you know, link back to something else. Mm-hmm. But allow us to really share those stories. Um, we also publish two annual books. So one is our annual report. Um, our annual report has a lot more pictures and stories than numbers and graphs. Mm-hmm. Um, so we try to find a really good balance there so that anybody can look at it and understand what happened in the ministry in the past year. Um, and then we produce a book each year for our banquet um, that really helps tell the story that we're telling that night but is a great tool to be used in all different settings as we're meeting new people um, or we're just sharing new stories of things that have happened. So as you guys have built this this new infrastructure around your website and your social media presence, are you then taking that and, and um, leading the rest of your partners in that saying, hey, hey guys, 5810 and other partners, here's what has worked for us in our social media platforms and and here's what we're kind of seeing growth in in these areas like here's what we request you do or um not request maybe but uh just kind of leading them in that and and showing what works what doesn't work what does that is there any of that going on with your you and your partners i think there is with some of our partners um other partners and i would put 5810 in this boat they're a step ahead of us um they've been really great with the communication with their supporters right from the start. Um, And because of some of different ministry challenges we've had with some changing of leadership and being very understaffed for years, (laughs) I feel like we're coming a little late to the game. Um, So we're actually, I feel like there's some partners who, you know, we're sending stuff out to saying, you know, hey, do you want our help in promoting this or promoting that? Um, that's probably about 60% of our partners is us offering to promote different things for them or help them, you know, understand how best to share with their audiences, whether it's a congregation, members of their foundation, you know, what that might look like. Um, but then with other partners, we're looking at what they're doing and saying, wow, this has worked really great for you. How can we learn from this as kind of the parent organization? Um, to make sure that we're all doing the best we can. Well, Annalyn, this is about all the time we have. Uh, I've so appreciated your insight and your your uh, your guidance and and experience, just the sharing of your experience. Um, I think this is going to add a ton of value to our listeners and and ministry executives who are running other ministries or similar ministries. So, thank you so much for being on the show. Can I quickly pray for for you and Chariots for Hope? Definitely. Father, I just lift up Andalyn and Chariots for Hope. I pray that you would uh, just <clears throat> explode this ministry, Father, that you would just continue to do work in and through it, that um, you would just continue to transform the lives of these children in Kenya, that 
Church for Hope is supporting and investing in and pouring into. Father, I pray that lives would be changed and continue to be changed for your glory. Uh, that the, the communities that these children go back into after they've been in these homes um, would flourish and, and the gospel would, would spread in and around Kenya um, because of the work that Chariots for Hope um, and Andalyn have been uh, faithful to, to enter into and, and be obedient to your calling, Father. Um, I just thank you so much for their willingness to serve you and be a part of what you're doing. I pray that you would be with them as they tell the story of what you are doing in Kenya, Father. We know you're working there and in the rest of the world in amazing ways. Uh, and so I pray that you would just be the, with them as they share those stories to their audience and their supporters. And that because of that storytelling, um, people would jump in and dive into being a part of what you're doing, Father. We just thank you so much for Church for Hope and Andalyn and their time with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Andalyn, how can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more about Chariots for Hope or want to jump into what you guys are doing and support support you guys? Yeah, so I would say first is our website, recently redone and updated, uh, chariotsforhope.org. Um, and then if they want to reach me personally, it would be rob, R-O-B-B, at chariotsforhope.org. Perfect. Well, Andalyn, thank you so much again for being on the show, and uh, we wish you guys the best, and um, have a good a good rest of your day. Thank you so much. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store, and make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors, or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, if you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in that process. Check out Reliant Creative at reliantcreative.org. See you next time.